Joe Biden is telling absolute bold-faced lies about the Texas election bills. Now, in politics, we expect this, right? There are lies, and then there are lies. And we tolerate it to a certain extent because political lies in general tend to be hyperbolic, right? They're the type that make our eyes roll. We know politicians are doing it because they just want to get their seat back. And I, I don't know why we tolerate it, but we do. That's one kind of lie. And then there are despicable disgusting lies that have absolutely no place in American politics unless your agenda is to subvert our system of government. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Joe Biden has been telling one of these despicable, disgusting lies that we should not tolerate in politics. And take a listen to it yourself. So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote and fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. For make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies, are threatening the very foundation of our country. It gives me no pleasure to say this. I never thought in my entire career I'd ever have to say it. But I swore an oath to you, to God, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And that's an oath that forms a sacred trust to defend America against all threats, both foreign and domestic. The assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat, literally. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. Now, the first thing that I noticed when I listened to this clip, and this doesn't even have to do with election laws for one second, but the first thing I noticed is Joe Biden is conflating uh, GOP election security laws, which are supported by half of our country, by the way, Republicans. So half of us, he's talking about half of us in this country, with domestic terrorism. That's what Democrats think we are. Terrorists. Domestic terrorists. So that's even aside from his allegation or this claim that election laws, GOP-supported election laws, are the equivalent of Jim Crow laws. This is, this is so absurd. It's utter nonsense. First of all, let's talk about Jim Crow for just a second. It's actually an insult to the people who suffered under Jim Crow laws to make this comparison. You're actually belittling what happened in our nation under Jim Crow. It's like that rule that you never compare anything to the Holocaust because nothing can compare to the horror of the Holocaust. Well, the same applies here to Jim Crow. Under Jim Crow, black Americans were lynched and harassed. They were beaten and bombed. They couldn't eat with white people, couldn't shake hands with white people, couldn't use the same drinking fountain as white people. In many Southern states, black people couldn't go to the same barber as white people. There were separate burials and cemeteries, separate buses, separate schools, separate libraries, separate mental hospital facilities, separate nurses, separate militia et cetera, et cetera, you get the point. For voting itself in the Jim Crow era, there were poll taxes and literacy tests that were levied against black Americans. There were all white primaries that black Americans weren't even allowed to take part in. There was fraud, threats, and intimidation to prevent black Americans from voting. That's what happened in the Jim Crow era. That's what Biden claims is happening as a result of these GOP election laws. So is that what happens as a result of these election laws? No, of course not. Not even close. It's absolutely despicable for the Democrats to make such a disgusting, false comparison. 
So here's my question. And this, this is actually a very easy question. What about these new bills? Now, we could be talking about the Texas bills today. We could be talking about Georgia, Florida, Arizona, what have you. We'll talk about Texas first. What about these new bills and laws makes it more difficult for black people to vote? Because this is the essence of Joe Biden's claim, that it's voter suppression. It makes it more difficult for black people to vote. What about the new bills and laws does that? Makes it more difficult for black people to vote. We're gonna answer that in a second. But first of all, I wanna talk to you about ExpressVPN. Your service, your internet service provider can see every website that you've ever visited. Every time you make a search, your internet service provider can see that. I don't like that. I actually hate that. I don't like anybody to see what I'm doing online. Not because I'm doing anything shady. It's just none of their darn business. That's why even when I'm at home on my own laptop, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Because not only can my internet service provider otherwise see what I'm searching for, they can sell my information to ad companies, sell your information to ad companies. Well, ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. It's very easy. So protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com Liz. And you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Liz. ExpressVPN.com slash Liz to learn more. You really should check it out. It works, and it's just what you need to secure yourself and your family online. So back to the question. Um, the only way, the only way that it would be harder for Black people to vote once these election laws, these Republican election laws are enacted, is if A, Black people are dumb, which they are not, or B, if black people primarily cast illegal ballots, which they do not. But those are literally the only two options. That's the only way that these laws would make it more difficult for black people to vote in this country if they are too dumb to follow the rules that everybody else follows or if they only cast illegal ballots. This is what the Democrats are insinuating. Doesn't that sound racially insulting to you to insinuate that black Americans are either somehow incapable of following the same rules as everybody else, or that they cast illegal ballots that would get caught in the integrity provisions that are inherent to these bills. This is what Democrats are telling the American people. So we're gonna talk about, I wanna talk about Texas first. I wanna talk about Texas first, and then I wanna talk about Georgia, since the Biden administration is currently levying a lawsuit against Georgia over their election security bills, and there's new evidence of voter fraud on Georgia ballots from the 2020 presidential election. It's absolutely striking. Well, I want to get to that shortly. But first, I want to talk about the Democrats from the Texas state legislature who uh, who fled the state on private planes. I mean, talk about out of touch. It's You almost can't make it up how stupid these people are. 50 Democrats from the state of Texas fled the state on private planes. They were um, hoping to avoid a quorum in the Texas state legislature so that the Texas state legislature, the House, could not cast a vote on not only the election uh, security bills, but also other bills that would protect girls from having to compete against biological males who identify as females, transgenders in sports, or fund arrests of illegal aliens. There were some abortion bills and a crackdown on critical race theory being taught in public schools there. The Democrats don't want to vote, so they left and deprived the Texas House of a quorum. By doing this, they have violated the state law, according to Texas Governor Abbott. He says, and I actually do hope this happens, Greg Abbott says that the Democrats will promptly be arrested upon their return to Texas. This is what he says. Abbott says, and I quote, what the law is, it's in the Constitution, and that is the House, the state of representatives, 
who were here in the Capitol in Austin right now, they do have the ability to issue a call to have their fellow members who are not showing up to be arrested, but only so long as that arrest is made in the state of Texas. That's why they have fled the state. Once they step back into the state of Texas, they will be arrested and brought to the Texas Capitol, and we will be conducting business. Meanwhile, the Texas Democrats think they're some kind of freedom fighters. They're actually just fools. Um, I have to show you this video. I apologize in advance. You might notice that I'm smiling. It's because this is so embarrassing, so absurd for these Democrats in Texas. I can't even believe that anyone cast their vote for these uh, fools. They began singing, we will overcome at their press conference after they fled the state yesterday. Take a listen to this and sorry, I'm not sorry. We will overcome. We will overcome. We will overcome someday. Deep in our hearts, I do believe. You're lucky I only made you listen to 20 seconds of that because the video is about a minute and a half and it's hilarious the whole time. It's just dreadful, dreadful. Not good voices aside from the fact that they're being absolutely moronic about election laws. So I'm not going to subject you to more of that. Um, I do want to talk to you for a second about Nutrafol. So we know, we all know that half of the people who watch my show are balding. You know who you are. Don't even bother to deny it. Well, I'm here to tell you there's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness. I'm talking about Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. It's comprised of 21 potent natural ingredients that support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress, too. And let's be real. The reason that you don't use a lot of these other, pro other products is because it decreases sex drive. Well, this product doesn't do that. And Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. So what I'm saying is you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code LIZ to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LIZ. You'll be glad you did. You know you want to, and you know who I'm talking to. Okay, the Texas election bills, there's two of them, one in the House and one in the Senate. They are named uh, HB3 and SB1, respectively obviously, House bill and Senate bill. So when we're talking about what these actually do, first, we just I just discussed what they don't do, and they don't take us back to Jim Crow. They are not a threat to our democracy, the greatest threat we've seen since the Civil War, whatever BS Biden is talking today. Um, let's talk about what they do. So ironically, the Democrats who fled Texas for Washington, D.C. to for their stunts to put on this act, they ironically got some of the provisions that they wanted in these bills. They are not strictly partisan Republican bills. So let's talk about what the Democrats got in these bills. These bills require at least nine hours a day of early voting during the early voting period. Now remember, that, that's typically a Democrat thing. Most Republicans, or a lot of Republicans, are wary of early voting because people who vote early, if they don't have a good reason, like an absentee ballot reason, to vote early, they might be missing out on information before they cast their ballot. So Republicans typically want voters to be as fully informed as possible. That's why I personally am not in favor of early voting at all. Well, Democrats got their way in this bill. There's nine hours a day required of early voting during the early voting period. There's also 12 hours a day, 12 hours a day during the last week of early voting in large counties. So these are provisions Democrats got. There's also a provision that requires 
election officials to notify the voter if their absentee ballot is either missing a signature or if the envelope signature to return the ballot doesn't match the ballot. In addition to that, the notification to the voter, the voter gets an opportunity to fix their ballot so that their vote is not discarded, so that it can be valid, so that it's counted. This is called curing ballots. Democrats wanted that. It's in these bills, these bills that they fled because they didn't want to vote on. There's also a provision that prevents a person from being convicted of a crime for voting provisionally while ineligible. Democrats wanted that, they got that. And there was a provision that was removed that would have made it easier to overturn an election if there had been fraud detected in the election. All of those things, Democrats wanted, Democrats got. But Democrats ran away from home. They won't vote on it. So what's actually in these bills, and the purpose of these bills, by the way, these are good faith bills. They're intended to secure elections so that the most people possible can cast votes in a way that is is cognizant of the integrity of every person's vote. Because remember, every time a vote, a fraudulent vote occurs, that disenfranchises a legal voter. So the Democrats claim to care about voting disenfranchisement. Well, you would think then that they would care about voter fraud, which disenfranchises voters. They don't. So what is in these bills, these bills would eliminate drive-through and 24-hour voting. Remember, when Democrats talk about this, these were COVID provisions in the first place. These were not things that pre-existed in Texas for a long time. These were pandemic-related voting provisions, emergency provisions that Democrats now want to keep all the time forever. These bills also empower poll watchers. So under the current laws in Texas, poll watchers are, quote, entitled to sit or stand conveniently near the election workers in the polling places. But HB3 and SB1 would give watchers what's called free movement, and it would also make it a criminal offense for um, the obstruction of the view of a poll watcher or to put the poll watcher at such a distance that they could not make an observation that is, quote, reasonably effective. What is unreasonable about that? That's what I would love to hear, by the way, is Democrats going through each and every provision of these bills and telling me what's unreasonable, what's suppression, what's disenfranchisement, or what's racism. Because that's just reasonable. If you're a poll watcher, your purpose is to watch the poll. So obviously you can't be sat so far away that you can't watch the polls. Unless, of course, you're Democrats. That's what they want to happen. So the bills would also make it more difficult for election workers to remove the poll watchers if the poll watchers violate election law. Um, This provision would require that the watcher be, quote, previously warned that the watcher's conduct violated the law before removal happens. That's also reasonable. This bill also includes voter ID requirements for vote by mail. This should be an absolutely no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer that voters must provide their driver's license number or the last four digits of their social security number on their application for an absentee ballot to ensure that someone else doesn't steal your vote. Not controversial. Then the information on the envelope to return the ballot, the absentee ballot, must match the information on the application. Again, to make sure that no one steals your vote. These bills also prohibit local election officials from sending unsolicited mail-in ballot applications. We know this happened in Texas. I believe 2 million unsolicited mail-in ballots applications were uh, sent out in the 2020 presidential election. The House bill would make it a felony for local officials to send these applications um, without them being requested by voters specifically. There's also a provision in the bill to require that people fill out paperwork if they take a voter to the polls in person if the voter is not a relative. You basically want to make sure that um, 
political operatives are not taking advantage of maybe elderly people or disabled people. So you have to identify if you're doing that in a large quantity. If you're doing that at all, if you're taking someone to the polls who isn't a relative, you have to identify yourself. Again, to prevent fraud, the only reason that you would oppose such a provision is if you're okay with fraud. Are Democrats okay with fraud? I don't know, but they're the ones opposing these provisions, fleeing the state rather than voting for them. There's also a provision to require people to exit a car if someone is voting curbside in that vehicle. Again, to prevent coercion and fraud. Election officials would also be required to install a video surveillance system that records vote counting activities. And in counties with 100,000 residents or more residents than that, a live stream must be made available to the public. I think that's a good idea. Now, those in large counties would also be required to install tracking software to monitor input and activity on um, vote counting electronic uh, devices. And this would go into effect not until the beginning of 2024, January 1st of 2024. But if any equipment does not disable or remove any capacity to connect to the internet in any way, it would be prohibited from being used to count votes. So let me circle back to my original question here. Specifically, what about any of these provisions disenfranchise black people from voting? That's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. Democrats, what they're doing is they're conjuring up images of horrific racial abuse and discrimination in order to scare voters into supporting Democrats' current radical positions. But every single word coming out of Democrats' mouths is utter nonsense. By the way, the Texas bill isn't even that strong. I said it. It's not even that strong. It's not as good as the Georgia bill. It's kind of watered down. The Democrats still flee the state because who knows why. Okay, speaking of fighting for what's right, I want to talk for a second about my friend Lila Rose. We are friends both in the conservative movement, but we are also friends off the air. Um, and she has a new book out called Fighting for Life. It's a tremendous book. I'm tremendously proud of her for writing it. Um, we were actually writing our books almost at the same time. I wrote mine just a little bit before she did. And we would text often about the process of writing books and um, I know how much heart and soul she put into this book. And as you know, she does tremendous work. And at a time like this, it's tremendously important to have real wor warriors going out in the world to make a change. So this book, Lila shares how you can understand your own talents, become a leader, build a foundation for, ch for change in the face of obstacles that you might face. This book is so important right now. It's called Fighting for Life. It's available anywhere that you can buy books and you can get yours at fightingforlifebook.com. And if you do get it, Send Lila a picture of yourself with a book. I know that that makes her day. And um, tell her that I said congratulations. Okay, moving away from Texas for a second, I want to talk about the state of Georgia now because there's also controversy in the state of Georgia, although the Democrats there, to my knowledge, have yet to take a private plane and hightail it out of there. But Joe Biden's Department of Justice is suing the state of Georgia over their election law. So I want to be very clear here. It's a stupid lawsuit. It's going to fail. It's going to fail because of two reasons. One, it's not a burden on the voter to do what everybody else has to do. And the Supreme Court already ruled that Arizona's election provisions, which are very similar to Georgia's, did not violate the Voting Rights Act. So why Joe Biden's Department of Justice is trying to levy this lawsuit is a real head scratcher because they're doomed to fail. They're doomed to fail. Now, the claim here from the Biden Department of Justice is that Georgia is violating the Voting Rights Act. But this can't be the case. This can't be the case. And if there's a legal scholar out there 
smarter than I who disputes this in a factual way. I'm open to hearing your argument, um, but here's what my thinking is. So the Supreme Court decision in Brunovich versus the DNC, that's the Arizona case. Um, th this is essentially what they were looking at. They were looking at Arizona's in-precinct voting requirements and Arizona's ban on ballot harvesting. And they found that it did not violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which, and I quote, prohibits any standard practice or procedure that results in a denial or abridgment of the right of any citizen of the United States to vote on account of race or color. The Supreme Court said that Arizona's in-precinct voting requirements were okay, that they did not violate the Voting Rights Act, and yet the Department of Justice continues to argue that Georgia's provision, which is very similar, violates Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. You can't have a different ruling on the same issue in our court system. There's been precedent that's been set in Arizona. So the reason for this, and I, I want to quote Margot Cleveland from The Federalist directly here. Um, she analyzed this case. She goes, in Brnovich, the high court addressed for the first time the meaning of Section 2's, quote, results in a denial or abridgment of the right to vote based on race or color in the context of generally applicable time, place, or manner voting rules. The court laid out several guideposts for assessing whether voting is equally open as required by Section 2. Professor Cleveland says, the guideposts the Brnovich court delineated include the size of the burden, the degree to which the voting rule departed from the standard in 1982 when Congress amended Section 2, the size of the disparity of the rule on minorities, the opportunities provided by the state's entire voting system and the strength of the state's interest in the law. Cleveland says, applying these guideposts to the provisions of Georgia's Election Integrity Act of 2021 that the Biden administration is challenging establishes the DOJ's lawsuit is completely lacking in merit. None of the challenged provisions create a high burden to voters, but in the language of the Brnovich court, represent the normal burdens of voting. For instance, the DOJ complained that Georgia prohibits distributing unsolicited absentee ballot applications and bars private organizations from distributing duplicate absentee ballot applications, but the burden of requesting an absentee ballot online or in person is minimal. Likewise, Georgia's requirement that in requesting an absentee ballot, voters provide their driver's license number or a photocopy of another form of identification, such as utility bill, represents a minor burden easily satisfied, end quote. So like I said, this is a stupid lawsuit. It's going to fail on one or two or both counts. It should fail on both counts. Um, so I want to talk just a second about Georgia's election law, because again, the Democrats misrepresented this so much that it cost black business owners in the state of Georgia millions, if not billions of dollars when the MLB, uh, Major League Baseball, removed their all-star game from the state at the behest of Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden, who claimed that this that Georgia's election bill was also some kind of racist bill. So the only racial harm that happened as a result of this bill was because of Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden, them lying, the Major League Baseball caving to these, this wokeness, removing the all-star game, and black business owners were hurt. This is what Georgia's election bill actually does. It expands weekend voting, expands it. It makes mail-in drop boxes permanent. It does allow food and water for voters waiting in line, it just bans line warming, which is partisan political operatives trying to um, influence voters while they're waiting in line to cast their ballot. It does require voter ID, but Georgia provides free ID if you don't already have it, so have it, so there's no burden there. It makes the absentee window longer than even in some liberal states. Literally everything Democrats say about Georgia's election law is false. 
In Georgia, you do need a driver's license to vote. If you don't have a driver's license, you can use a free state ID. If you don't have a free state ID, you can use the last four digits of your social security number. So again, back to my original question, please, please, please explain to me how this oppresses or disenfranchises black voters. It does not. In fact, in my opinion, we have more need now than ever for election security laws because day by day, week by week, month by month, more evidence builds of voter fraud in the 2020 election. And I know this is a controversial topic, but how do you dispute this? There are two instances of new evidence in Georgia that appear enough to put even the result of the 2020 election in question. I know, that's a big deal. Again, Professor Margot Cleveland at The Federalist delineates exactly what is happening. She has been incredible reporting on this. I highly recommend you go and read her entire reporting um, on this matter. This is what she says, and I quote, in Georgia, there was both an audit and a statewide recount confirming Biden's victory, but ignored in the process was evidence that nearly 35,000 Georgians had potentially voted illegally. New evidence indicates that more than 10,300 illegal votes were cast in Georgia in the November 2020 general election, a number that will continue to rise over the next several months, potentially exceeding the 12,670 votes that separated Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Under the cover of COVID-19, she writes, Georgia, like many other states, flooded residents with absentee ballot applications. Also, like sister states, Georgia ignored various legislative mandates designed to prevent fraud and to ensure the integrity of the vote. Under Georgia law, residents must vote in the county in which they reside, unless they change their residence within 30 days of the election. As Jake Evans, a well-known Atlanta election lawyer, told me, outside of the 30-day grace period, if people vote in a county in which they no longer reside, their vote in that county would be illegal. Soon after the November general election, Cleveland writes, Mark Davis, the president of Data Productions Incorporated and an expert in voter data and analytics and residency issues, obtained data from the National Change of Address, NCOA database, that identified Georgia residents who had confirmed moves with the U.S. Postal Service. After excluding moves with effective dates within 30 days of the general election and by using data available from the Georgia Secretary of State's office, Davis identified nearly 35,000 Georgia voters who indicated they had moved from one Georgia county to another, but then voted in the 2020 general election in the county from which they had moved. Pause her article for a second. This is where it's illegal. If you cast your ballot in the county from where you have moved 30 day, more than 30 days ago, then your vote is illegal. You're not allowed to vote there. But 35,000 George voters have been identified as having done this. This is pretty serious. So Cleveland goes on to say, some of those moves could have been temporary involving students or members of the military, Davis stressed, adding that under Georgia law, temporary relocations do not alter citizens' residency status or render their votes illegal. But given the margins separating the two presidential candidates, approximately one-third of the votes at issue could have altered the outcome of the election. Yet the media, the courts, and the Secretary of State's office ignored or downplayed the issue. When Davis ran the data, he found that of the approximately 35,000 Georgians who indicated they had moved from one county to another county more than 30 days before the November general election, as of May, more than 10,300 had updated their voter registration information, providing the Secretary of State the exact address they had previously provided to the USPS. Those same 10,000 plus individuals all also cast ballots in the county in which they had previously lived. So what does that tell us? Pause the article again. What does that tell us? That tells us that they weren't temporary relocations, they weren't students, they weren't military because they updated their voter registration 
um, after they cast their ballot to the same address that they had provided to the change of address at the post office, which means their votes were potentially illegal. That means they had moved permanently away from the county in which they cast their ballot in the general election. 10,000 of them had done that. Now, Cleveland says under Georgia law, a judge can order an election be redone if he or she sees there were enough illegal, irregular, or improperly rejected votes to cast the result of an election in doubt, or if they see evidence of systemic irregularities, Davis said. These issues were absolutely systemic, David stressed, noting they occurred in every county in the state, in every state house, state senate, and in every congressional district in the state. Cleveland says, Davis's data proves, signi proves significant because critics of Trump's challenge to the certification of Georgia's election results framed the NCOA information as either unreliable or of an insufficient magnitude to cast the outcome of the election in doubt. But by updating their voter registration information with the same address as contained in the NCOA database, the voters themselves have established the reliability of that information. The voters themselves confirm that the move is not temporary. This is, I mean, this is mind-blowing. You have to look into this. Because if this is the case, if this turns out to be the case, and I don't see how it doesn't when you have that confirmation that not only did 35,000 people vote in a county where they had moved away from, they confirmed that it was a permanent move by they themselves updating their voter registration to the address that they had notified the post office um, to forward their mail or notified of a change of address. The voters themselves confirmed it was a permanent address. This has to be looked into. That's number one. And then also in Fulton County, Georgia, this, this has occurred. Take a look at this. All right, so what we're looking at here are, um, are two different batches of votes. Scanner 5162, batch 234, image 59, and scanner 5162, batch 235, image 19. And what you can see is that, like on this vote right here, we've got this exact same little tail that shows on both of them. And if you don't, and if you think that maybe that's, you know, if you think that maybe that's just a, you know, a mistake or, 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 or you know, or just a coincidence, here's the next one that shows, you can see Republican, is written there, Republicans written there. This is um, ballot 61, this is ballot number two, and then each one of them even has this little dot in the Fannie Willis. Okay, and do you have more of those? We have the entire batch. I've got, there's 62 images in here total, and I didn't even get a chance to go through all of them, but these are the most obvious ones, where it's clear that it's, it's the same. This one's got the little tail on the side. So what happened? So do you know the numbers of these total batches? Like, I don't remember what the to what the totals were when the batches. I, I don't think they were they weren't disparate. They were fairly close. But the the simple fact that they so occurred. So you see that little bubble right there? This is a one image. Here's another image. Exactly see the exact same. And the batch number. Was it five one six two? Also scanner fifty one sixty two. Okay, scanner. Batch, batch number two thirty five. Image number 92 matches uh, the same scanner, 5162, batch 234, image 33. So there you have it. Duplicate ballots. The entire batch is scanned several times.
So what this video does is this corroborates what we saw last year, the videos that show ballots being fed through the, the vote count machine multiple times. At the time, we obviously knew it was fishy, duh. But the left claimed that the ballots didn't register in the scanner and thus had to be scanned multiple times to be counted once so that those voters' votes weren't discounted. Okay, well, now new evidence shows that what Democrats claimed wasn't the case. New evidence shows that the ballots were counted multiple times. And funnily enough, who were those ballots cast for? For Biden, of course. So don't tell me we don't need new laws to ensure the integrity of our elections, to ensure the protection of your votes and my votes. The Democrats don't want that election security because perhaps how else would they win? We've been talking a lot about Dr. Fauci, and I hate to beat a dead horse here, but every time this man opens his mouth, it is flabbergasting that anyone would have him on TV and that anyone listens to his advice. In this case, Dr. Fauci says, without a doubt, three-year-old babies should be wearing face masks. Take a listen to this and try not to get as angry as I am. You know that children under the age of 12 who are not eligible for the vaccines generally do not get uh, sick, don't get COVID, or don't get as ill with it. But what does this spread of the Delta variant mean for them, for the children under the age of 12? And what's the timeline for when they might become eligible? Well, a, a couple of questions, and the answers are, the children who are not able to get vaccinated because of their age should follow, their parents should follow with them, the guidelines of the CDC that unvaccinated children of a certain age, greater than two years old, should be wearing masks. No doubt about that. That's the way to protect them from getting infected because if they do, they can then spread the infection to someone else. So the CDC guidelines for unvaccinated people, including children, are not changed at all. The man is totally nuts. What just came out of his mouth is totally nuts. And I say this um, with all due respect, but any parent with a three-year-old baby who adheres to this insanity is also nuts. I will never, never do this with my daughter. Never, under any circumstances. I equate this to child abuse. I would never do it. That's all I have to say about that. Do not do it. Now, we always ask a question to Marxists. This is pivoting just a little bit. Something else I want to talk about. We always ask the question to Marxists, well, if you hate America so much, what nation would you rather live in if you think America is so horrible and so racist? This is a hypothetical question that is a trick question because there is no good answer. Who would want to live in a country other than America because we're the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world? Well, 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 I overestimated, or I underestimated the left, I should say. Nicole Hannah-Jones, you might remember her. She's the author of the New York Times infamous a historical racist 1619 project. She answered this question for us. Take a listen. I mean, one, <laughs> let me just, um, I, I'm definitely not an expert on uh, race relations internationally. Um, and it's also hard to look at countries that didn't have, you know, a large institutions of slavery and compare them to the United States. The answer is probably going to be surprising uh, that I'm going to give, which is if you want to see the most equal uh, 
multiracial, uh, it's not a democracy, <laughs> most equal multiracial country in our hemisphere, it would be Cuba. Cuba has the least inequality between black and white people of uh, uh, any place really in the hemisphere that, uh, I mean, the Caribbean, most of the Caribbean, it's it's hard to count because the white population in a lot of those countries is very, very small. They're countries run by black folks, but in places that are truly um, at least biracial countries, Cuba actually has the least inequality. And that's largely due to socialism, which I'm sure no one wants to hear. Of course she wants to go to a communist nation. Of course. Of course it's communism. That does race relations better, according to her. So absurd. And what's even worse is she actually credits socialism with better race relations. Yes, Nicole Hannah-Jones, there is equity in communism. Everybody is enslaved, everybody is impoverished, and everybody is oppressed. Except the ruling class, of course. Ridiculous. But it's from their own mouth. I mean, we don't even have to make this stuff up. We don't even have to infer this nonsense. They admit it themselves, that she thinks that racial relations in Cuba, communist Cuba, are better than the United States of America. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Also stupid, Biden's secretary of uh, Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, this is a guy, by the way, that I said from the beginning should never, ever have been confirmed to this position. He is an absolute nutcase. He said in the wake, and we talked about this this week as well, um, as the Cuban people rise up against the communist dictatorship in their country at absolutely great personal risk to themselves, DHS Secretary Mayorkas says that Cubans who are fleeing communism will not be allowed to enter the United States even if they claim asylum. Can you believe this guy? He said Cuban migrants, Haitian migrants, asylum seekers who try to come to the U.S. by boat will not be allowed to enter the country. This is his quote. If individuals make, establish a well-founded fear of persecution or torture, they are referred to third countries for resettlement. They will not enter the United States, even if you're going to be persecuted, even if you're going to be tortured. No asylum here in the land of the free. If you're fleeing a communist nation, let me ask you this, Secretary Mayorkas, is this the same standard that you apply to the southern border with Mexico to people coming, claiming asylum? Because I thought you were releasing tens of thousands of so-called asylum seekers into the United States without, some of them, without even having court dates to establish the validity of their asylum claims. So that's how we treat the Mexican border. But when Cuban asylum seekers fleeing communism, fear of torture by the communist regime, did they just not welcome here? Sir, you ended the Remain in Mexico policy. The Remain in Mexico policy had asylum seekers that wanted to cross our southern border stay in Mexico until they could be, till their claims could be adjudicated. You ended that. You allow them into the United States now. And we all know what happens when you allow them into the United States. They fade into the shadows of the U.S. They don't show up to their court dates. And, you know, your, your problem is solved because you don't have to ever deal with them again. So why target Cuban asylum seekers now when they're rising up against communism? Oh, I know why. It's because you don't want to admit that communism is a threat to the lives of these freedom-seeking people. Mayorkas and his family, by the way, fled communist Cuba themselves in the 1960s. The nerve of this guy. Let's talk about the space race for a second. This is an interesting conversation that um, I've been having with 
my producer, the great and powerful Jay Hay. So there's this space race that's happening between three billionaires, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, and Elon Musk, right? So Branson um, wanted to go to space himself. His flight actually happened this past Sunday. He had moved his flight up because he wanted to be in space before Bezos. Uh, Bezos has a plan to take off, I think, on July 20th. Um, You know, my, my first reaction to this is the ego of these guys, right? The ego of these guys. Imagine having so much money that um, this is what you do to play. This is what you do to play. You compete to see who gets into space first. But there is a bit more, um, not hypothetical, there's a bit more theoretical underpinning to this space race that I do think is worth talking about. And it has to do not just with these men, whether they're liberal or conservative, you know, how they got their money, uh, whether they're billionaires or whether I think they're good or bad people. It it's actually has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with just our country. The power of our country, the fact that America is the world's superpower, yet there's a question of whether uh, the American empire, if you will, is expanding or whether we are on the decline. And it's it, in a political sense, when Democrats are in charge and they undermine American greatness and American exceptionalism and, you know, kowtow to our enemies, it's uh, easy to think that America's not going to decline, that we aren't going to be the world superpower anymore. But here's an interesting point. When empires are expanding, these, these countries are constantly exploring and innovating and seeking new things, if you will. It's, not, it's, it's a literal expansion. Now, whether this is knowledge, whether it is prosperity, it doesn't have to be land exploration in the literal sense, but there's a constant expansion that is happening when empires are uh, still growing, when they are still on the rise. But you contrast that um, with empires that are in decline. What happens when empires are in decline is, as a nation, we turn inward. And what I mean by that is masculinity, the traditional idea of masculinity is no longer needed. The protection of men, the provision from men, um, the the manly, um, I don't even know what the word is, but this, this manly urge for exploration, building, creating, innovating, it isn't, it isn't needed the same way. And so it withers. Here in America, we are at this tipping point. Are we continuing to be on the rise as a nation or are we on the decline? Because we're safe, we're explored, our nation is settled. So the question is, what's next? Will we continue to innovate? Will we continue to expand? Or will we fold into ourselves? That is why the space race should be interesting to people, even if you don't care about space, even if you you don't like Jeff Bezos, even if you think it's a giant exercise of their egos to buy themselves a toy spaceship and launch themselves into space. This is why it's interesting, though, because space is the final frontier in a sense. This is a way that we haven't, this is a place we haven't explored, a way that we haven't innovated. And yet, we now have a race, a competition to explore this and expand this and innovate in space. And it's interesting. Now, to be fair, not not all of this is interesting. While workshopping this idea yesterday, Jay Hay um, started talking to me about why people, maybe even conservatives, should live on the moon. Don't ask. I'm actually sorry I asked. My question uh, to him was more of an exclamation of what? Why? And then I regretted saying even that because I suffered for about 10 minutes of a long drawn out thought experiment about living on the moon. Can there be freedom on the moon? If so, 
How? Because if you live in a bubble on the moon, you have to live in a bubble. And if everybody lives in a bubble, there can't be an armed citizenry because you can't have a society in which one person could kill all the rest with one gun in one fell swoop. But can you actually be free without an armed citizenry? I wrote half the script of the show today before his rant had ended. Let's just say that. So the point of this is Jay Hay likes science fiction too much, but the space race is still a thing to behold. And for that, I will give him uh, for give him great credit for pointing this out because a country heading in the right direction, growing, expanding, innovating, now he's talking in my ear, must continue to explore. And that's what we're doing with the space race. Either that or these billionaires just have huge egos to satisfy. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts on this topic. Okay, before we wrap for the weekend right now, by the way, Jay Hay is my ear saying, it's not science fiction, it's just science. So I'll let you weigh in on that. And I'm going to ignore him for a moment. Before we wrap for the week, I want to take a second and thank our Locals VIP of the week. KG Teague joined the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. Um, We are extremely happy to have you. I think that you will find that we have fun over there. There's a lot of insider information, a lot of talking that happens about political discussions, question and answer, all the stuff you guys know that happens over there. Welcome aboard, KG Teague. You are our Locals VIP of the week. Okay, we always have more to talk about, but unfortunately, we're out of time for today. So until next time, think for yourself, use critical thought, question authority, follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. And production assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.